This is the story of an animal that lives in the forests of the Dominican Republic. The ground here is like petrified Swiss cheese, and underground tunnels stretch in every direction. Our animal sleeps in that underworld. In English, it's called the Solenodon. In Spanish, Solenodonte. The first time that I caught a Solenodon, I remember that we were fishing in the river at night. That's Nicolás Corona, a hunter with a thick mustache who lives near the border between Haiti and the Dominican Republic. When this story happened, he was nine years old. And then when the Solenodon was next to the road, I remember my uncle saying, a red mouse, a red mouse. And we didn't know that it was a Solenodon. He hit it in the neck, and my uncle brought it home. He said, last night I killed a red mouse. The Solenodon is the size of a rabbit. And I'll be honest with you, it looks pretty strange. It has tiny eyes and a crazy long nose. Nicolás didn't know what it was when his uncle killed it. This is actually a common story. In Santo Domingo, the capital of the Dominican Republic, estimates say that one in 10 people have ever heard of the animal. Some people called the animal exotic, and it is a pretty interesting animal. Even though it's a mammal, it can inject venom through its teeth, enough to kill a dog. But it doesn't really fit the definition of exotic, because it's been around on the island much longer than any human. Es un animal extraordinario. Local biologist Pedro Martinez is right to say it's an extraordinary animal, and not just because it looks funny and is venomous. People compare it to a big rat or a mongoose, but really it looks more like a shrew, only bigger. And it actually is related to shrews. As Pedro points out, the Solenodon's closest cousins are the shrew, the mole, and the hedgehog. And if we compare the Solenodon's DNA with the DNA of a shrew, we can find out how different they are at a molecular level. Then we can figure out how long it's been since they were the same species. When scientists performed this calculation, they were stupefied. Its lineage split off from shrews 76 million years ago. At that point, the strawberry blonde beast was roaming the Earth with the dinosaurs. And then, when a miles-wide space rock flew into the Earth and killed nearly everything on the planet, the Solenodon lived to tell the tale. It might have looked a little different, but based on its genome, it was there. That's why they're an evolutionary biologist's fantasy. It's a survivor. Alexis Mikhailo, Stanford graduate student. It survived the KT impact. That's the one that took out the dinosaurs. It survived humans arriving in several different waves. Up until now, it survived invasive predators like cats and dogs. Before humans arrived, there were over 20 species of land mammals, and now there are only two. Science is only beginning to find out how such an awkward creature can be the ultimate survivor. It's hard to get data on an animal that's so hard to find. But sometimes, animals find scientists, rather than the other way around. To meet our scientists, we are in a mountain town in the Dominican Republic, far from the resort beaches. Cesar is a Peruvian biologist who has become the town wildlife healer. One afternoon two years ago, a park ranger knocked on his door. Era la tarde. It was afternoon, and I was already home, watching a bit of TV and relaxing. They knocked on my door, and there was one of the park rangers, and he tells me, I've brought you a little present. It's usually a bird with broken bones, or an animal lost in a hurricane. This time the animal looks different. It's bigger. I said, well, what could it be? And I saw the ranger was holding a sack, right? A sack that's bulging a little bit at the bottom. Well, let's take a look at my present. The first thing I imagined was, it's a big snake. Then I opened the sack and took a look. 
César was looking for something scaly and smooth. Y de repente pues una, una masita de pelos ahí. So I suddenly saw a mass of hair in there, curled up. I looked at it carefully, and it was a selenodon. That was the first time I had seen a selenodon so close up, and for me, it's beautiful. It's a rarity of nature. César was delighted with his new roommate, but he had a lot of work to do. The animal was wounded. It was incredible because the first night I didn't know what to feed him. I said, so now what do I feed my muchacho so that he can get better? That day, César got some cans full of worms. The hour of the experiment had come. We're going to let some worms go to see if he likes them. So we give him a few worms and he launched himself at them right there and he ate them up with such appetite. You would hear... And he'd eat one. He'd eat another like spaghetti. He was so excited that I said, wow, that must be really good. I was tempted to eat worms. With that, I tell you everything. It was incredible. Even though the selenodon was venomous, and Cesar was a little afraid at first, they were really bonding. Human and selenodon were getting to know each other, bit by bit. By the second day, he would scurry over me. He ate next to me. Well, it was almost as though we started to coexist. We got along well. We were good friends. Soon enough, the selenodon's bruised leg was better. The third night, he was ready. So that day, we decided to set him free again. We went to a biological preserve and, well, we let him go so that he could go back to his house. Cesar's hope is that the selenodon will go back to its den and continue life as usual. But even though it's right next to protected areas, the town of Puerto Escondido isn't a walk in the park for a selenodon to survive in. There's an avocado plantation here, and they sometimes have cat traps there, and unfortunately, selenodons fall in those little traps. Why cat traps are necessary in an avocado plantation is beyond me. But this is a small example of a very big problem for the selenodon. The ultimate survivor is endangered. Humans, their dogs, and habitat encroachment pose a significant threat to the selenodon. People burn native forests to make coal, even in national parks. I talk to people who have selenodons living on their property, but they've never seen one. The reason it isn't part of Dominican culture is that the indigenous Taino people are long gone. Many Taino died in wars against the Spaniards, or from disease. Some integrated into the richly multiracial population of the Dominican Republic. But their environmental folklore has all but disappeared, so stories about the selenodon aren't being passed down. Part of why it's going extinct might be because its story is going extinct. Nobody talks about it. But it doesn't have to be that way. Let's return to the story of Nicolás, the man with the mustache who caught a selenodon when he was a boy. I was hunting inside the protected area, hunting doves. I had nine or ten in my hand that I had already hunted. Nicolás was 16, deep in a Dominican forest. Suddenly a group of people appeared and I was surprised. Nicolás didn't expect much empathy. He was in a protected area. So they started asking me questions, and I answered them. He was scared. One of the men, a cameraman, approached him. He said to me, you shoot a bird and take away her life, and she is dead forever. I shoot her with my camera, and she stays alive. The cameraman's words changed something in Nicolás. I was very moved by that moment. They gave me some binoculars, and so the next day I went out to study birds, and I was moved. I realized that by observing birds and studying them, I contributed more than by destroying them. 
I never hunted endemic birds again. From one day to the next, I immediately stopped hunting. These days, his main source of income is conservation of native wildlife. After I found out that out of 25 mammals that were here in Hispaniola, we now only have two, I said, no, we have to protect them. And I realized the importance of conservation, and so far I don't regret dedicating my life to conservation. Nicolás never went to college, but his early years in the forest and the decades he has spent with conservation scientists in the field have taught him more than a degree ever could about the Selenodon's behavior. I don't think anybody in the Dominican Republic has the vast practical knowledge I have about the Selenodon. I know how they live, how they move, where you can see one, how much they can walk at night, how many square meters they can walk. I know when they are lactating when I catch them. When a female is pregnant, I naturally know which insects the Selenodon eats and all these things. I have a vast knowledge of that species. So I asked him whether he knew the answer to the Selenodon's deepest secret. Why has the Selenodon been able to survive for so much time? He thinks he has an idea. In February 2013, the Selenodon did something very strange. We went out one time to look for a Selenodon. We looked for them, and then when we walked into the forest at 8 that night, I didn't see a single active Selenodon. They weren't active in a place where you can usually see 20 or 30 Selenodons, and we didn't see a single one. I looked until 2 in the morning, and I couldn't find them. And so I started asking myself, why aren't they here? The Selenodons refused to come out of their caves, even though they needed to forage for food. Nicolás was frustrated. For all his experience, he couldn't even explain what was going on. The next night I went earlier, and I started looking, looking, looking for them, and they didn't come out of their caves. They didn't come out. That was the day the meteorites fell in Russia. Nicolás is talking about meteorites half a world away. The Chelyabinsk meteor fell in Russia this past February. Nobody knew it was coming, and several hundred people were injured. It was a stunning sight on our TV screens, a fireball brighter than the sun exploding in midair and shattering windows. I think the Selenodon survived because it kept itself in caves that are 7 to 8 meters deep. So, for example, a climatological phenomenon wouldn't affect it. And they last a very long time without leaving their caves. They're scared to come out. What Nicolás saw might explain why the Selenodon outlived the dinosaurs in the KT asteroid impact. When a meteor falls from the sky, they hide in their tunnels, far below the surface. So when the farmer cuts down trees and burns them, the Selenodon doesn't die, because it is in a very deep tunnel. And I think that one of the reasons the Selenodon lived so many years, and is still living, is because of its habitat, the house it lives in and the way it lives. Going underground is a Selenodon's strategy for surviving. But you can only stay underground for so long. Eventually, it has to come up and eat. And if above ground the forest is gone, so is a Selenodon's food. By deforesting, people are unknowingly pushing the animal towards extinction. But what if that's because they don't know this animal exists in the first place? Nicolás is providing scientists with anecdotes that they can test to understand the survivor. But he's doing something else, too. He's creating a story. It seems that they know when a natural phenomenon is about to happen. Not only is Nicolás saying that Selenodons know how to survive a natural disaster after it hits, he thinks the Selenodons knew the meteorites were coming ahead of time, when no scientist could. And he's spreading his story. Everybody in the border town of Pedernales knows Nicolás. They respect him, and they know how much he has to say about his crazy animals. 
He answers people's questions. And now, when kids ask why the Solanodon is still around, if it lived with the dinosaurs, he tells them his story. But his answer to the Solanodon's continued survival isn't really an answer. It's a question. How can the Solanodon know about natural events ahead of time? This is outside the realm of science. But what is interesting is that Nicolas has managed to turn the Solanodon into a mythological creature. Now, being part of folklore isn't always a positive thing for a species' conservation. Some animals are associated so much with myth that they are hunted for use in traditional medicine. I wonder how the survival stories Nicolas weaves are going to impact the Solenodon. My hope is that the stories are going to help the Solenodon form part of local culture again. He's turning the Solenodon into a quirky anecdote to tell local farmers over a steaming cup of canelilla, swinging in their rocking chairs at mid-afternoon. Now Nicolas is a Solenodon's public relations officer, and he's spreading the word in a digestible way. This story might just allow Dominicans, and the world, to take notice of the animal at last, to thirst for more information about it, and ultimately, to help it amble on its ancient, unwavering path to survival, its long nose digging for grub, and its tiny ears listening for the smallest sign of danger. This piece was made possible by the generous contribution of Bruce Braden and produced under the guidance of Natasha Ruck and Will Rogers. Special thanks to Professor Elizabeth Hadley, Cesar Abril, and Nicolas Corona. Thanks also to our voice actors Graham Roth and Weston Gaylord. The guitar music you heard in the middle of the story was played by Nicolas Corona. Yo no quiero ser tu amigo